0: For those who don't know me, my name's Dave Taylor. I'm the lead pastor of Sovereign Grace Church of Warunga. I'm also the Global Missions Director for Sovereign Grace Churches around the world. And it is a joy to be with you. I I am shocked how many Filipinos we have here. I was thinking if we had a game of guess who, I probably wouldn't say, Are you Filipino? Because that's most of the faces down. And so we wouldn't do that. But it is a joy to be with you all this morning and Oh my, I'm just so encouraged by what the Lord is doing in this local church. And it was 13 years ago now that my wife and I and our three kids at the time moved from the United Kingdom to Australia to plant Sovereign Grace Church in Warunga, the first church that we have here in Sydney. I was actually reminiscing with my wife just the other day because we are about to launch a second service in Warunga in the evening. And from what I was doing to try and help and to people to understand why we did it, is I actually showed a picture of our family just before we came. And I was shocked how slim I was back then. Um, But also how little everybody was. Lydia was on my lap. Josh was like about this tall. Um, Amy was standing by my side. Amy uh, was six years old at the time, our daughter. She's now getting married. It's crazy. I don't know when I became my parents, but somewhere <laughs> in my life, I became old enough to have a daughter getting married. But we were reminiscing our family, and you just think, we came here barely knowing anybody, but full of faith, full of a belief that the Lord was calling us to do this, um, Full of a confidence that he would build something. And so to see now what the Lord has done 13 years on is a wonderful joy to this slowly but surely midlife to upper life aging pastor. <laughs> to see what he's done in Woronga and to be in a position now where we're talking about second services to try and get more people in but reach a different demograph of the potential area that we live in. To... See the Filipinos here this morning. Men and women that we would have never met, perhaps. Never known of. And to see your church just thriving in the gospel. You are wonderfully led by Riley, by your pastoral team. To see your passion for the gospel and knowing the gospel and applying it and proclaiming it. It is a joy just to be with you. I would quite happily come and not preach at all and just sit at the back and observe you and I would be a happy pastor. But thank you for bringing me so much joy in the way you are living your life and serving Jesus here in Parramatta. We are so thrilled at what the Lord is doing in your midst. And it is a joy this morning to bring God's word to you as well. Having just in my introduction encouraged you in what the Lord is doing in your midst, I now want to address you with a message I've entitled, A Passion for Here, a passion for this local church. I believe the Lord wants to raise your eyes afresh in what He is doing in your church and what He wants to do in your church. And so turn in your Bible, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. J.I. Packer once says, There is no truer or happier way to describe Scripture than as God preaching to us. What a happy reality. The best moment on a Sunday gathering as we gather around God's word is when God addresses us himself through his word. And that's what happens when we read God's word. We're not reading somebody's interpretation of God's word. We are being addressed by God himself. God is preaching to us. What a humbling reality. What a staggering reality. The one who knitted together the blue mountains is about to address you and me. And so let's read together Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 22 through the end of verse 25. We are going to focus mainly on the end of verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Lord, as we gather around your word this morning, I pray that we'd be freshly humbled and amazed with your passion for your bride. Lord, we have heard wonderful testimony this morning of the difference that Sovereign Grace Church Paramount is making in people's lives. Men and women that want to join, that are affected by what is being built. But Lord, we want to spend time this morning focusing in on how you feel about Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta. Lord, did you open our eyes? Would we be affected? Would we be encouraged? Would we be envisioned? And would it all be for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the great joys of pastoral ministry is being involved in people's lives. Sometimes that can be difficult. You see people at the worst of times You see people when they're going through trial and trauma. You see people when things are going horribly wrong in their lives. But there's also great joys in pastoral ministry. And One of the great joys, I think, is being close and personal with people on their wedding days. You get a distinct view as a pastor because the couple are like, there, and you're like, here. You see something really close up unfolding. It's a real privilege. It's a real joy to be around and whenever I've had the privilege, as I have on many occasions, it is all, always a joyful experience. There's always the congregation waiting, checking their watches, wondering how long it's going to be. And then eventually I discover that the bride has arrived. So I make my way out as a pastor. I usually pray with the bride and her dad and the wedding party, just that the Lord would help them slow down on their day and enjoy what the Lord is doing in their lives. I come back in, and I ask the congregation to rise for the entrance of the bride, and then we all, as a congregation, do the same thing. We stand together, and everybody turns around to look at the bride, and we're waiting for it to come in, aren't we? In the olden days, the bride used to come first, and the bridesmaids after, negative. That's so old school. So now the bridesmaids come in soon. It's like the build-up, and then the finale is the bride. And everybody does the same thing. We look back, we see the bride, we notice how beautiful she looks, how proud her dad looks as he walks her down the aisle, and then collectively we all look at the groom to see how he is reacting in this moment. And it's nearly always the same thing, isn't it? The groom is weeping, the groom is affected, because the woman walking towards him is his bride. I remember it vividly on my own wedding day, the 15th of April in the year 2000, seeing Emma Davis, as was, walking towards me. I could not believe she had agreed to marry me. I still cannot believe she agreed to marry me. For 23 years, we have been still married, and I still feel the same now as I did when she walked towards me that day. I was just so thrilled that in a moment of insanity, she said yes to me. (laughs) And she's still saying yes. But I still remember her walking towards me. See, if you look in a groom's eyes on a wedding day, you will see his passion and his love for his bride. And yet, what I want to help you see this morning is that it's just a dim reflection of how Christ feels about his bride, just a mere shadow. Of how he loves his bride, the local church. Because here's how he feels about his bride. Verse 25, the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. John Stott, in his commentary, just unpacking that verse. says, what stands out in Paul's development of this theme of the bride is the sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for her. He chose her from eternity past. He set his affections upon her. And then buying her back from sin, he gently sanctifies and cleanses her, preparing her for himself. Listen. His love for his bride is not flighty. It's not given to whim. For it is zealous and it is unchanging. So it is. The way Christ feels about his bride. He doesn't love his bride with a, with a degree of uncha- with a changeableness or on a whimsical nature. No, his love for his bride is zealous. It is unchanging. He is passionate about his bride. And so here's my question to you as a local church this morning. Here's my question to you as a member of this local church this morning. If Jesus... Is so passionate about the church, then does your life, indeed my life, reflect a similar passion for the church? See, brothers and sisters, we are called to imitate God. Ephesians 5, verse 1. We're called to be like Him, become like Him, get passionate about what He is passionate about. We're called, Romans 8, verse 28, 29, sorry, to be conformed into the image of Christ. He is changing us it's from one degree of glory to another. He wants us to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. And so I want to ask you if Jesus then is so passionate about the church, then does your life reflect a similar passion for the church? Because if we're called to imitate him, that's how he lives, that's how he functions, that's how he feels. Now, I'm aware when you have a visiting speaker come in and they ask a question like that, it can be difficult to get your hands around. I mean, how do we, how do we work that out? Am I passionate about the church? I, I, think, I think so. I it, it's hard to sort of work out and evaluate on the side how we are actually going in this. And so this morning, I really want to look at four realities of what it looks like to be passionate about the church. I want to look at four things that the Bible outlines for us that help us understand what it really means, I think, to be passionate about the church. And I want to use these things to help you evaluate. I want to encourage you to evaluate yourselves, not the people sitting next to you. Okay, this is not an exercise. And I'm so pleased he's here talking about this because I've been worried about others for years. No, this is not the time to do that. We are evaluating ourselves. We're examining ourselves to see what the Lord wants to do in our heart. At the same time as evaluating, I trust you will be encouraged and envisioned as well. I am cheering you on as a local pastor. But I believe the Lord Jesus himself wants to cheer you on this morning. He wants to encourage you, stir you afresh for what he is doing and what he continues to do in part in and through you. So four realities of what it looks like to be passionate about the church. And here's the first. Number one, a person passionate about the church Rejoices that it is God's plan to redeem a people. They rejoice in the reality that it isn't just them He saved, but that He plans to redeem a people. You see, one of the most beautiful things about God's plan is that He not only saves individuals, He brings people together. He not only justifies, He joins people together into communities called the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, then verses 3 to 6, we discover how he justifies us. Listen, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way Paul does that. He's just like, I can't cope anymore. Ah, Bless his name. I love that. And then he tells us why. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You know, one of the things as you examine that passage is if you just keep paying attention to all the him, he, him, he, it him, just realized it's all him. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's done it all. He chose me before there was even time. He died for me in my place. He called me by name. He adopted me into his family. It's all about him. It is God himself who justifies us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But pay attention as the story continues to Ephesians. It doesn't finish at the end of chapter 1. It continues into chapter 2. As you discover, He doesn't just just justify us, He joins us, He joins us together. Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. No longer then are you strangers and aliens to one another, but now fellow citizens, members, members of the household of God being built together as a temple, a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. Listen, he doesn't just justify us by his grace, he then joins us, he brings us into a community, and he does it deliberately. And it's when you discover that in your Bible, which is loud and clear, that I believe you realize how mistaken and incomplete this all too common idea is of a lone ranger Christian. As so if I could just do it by myself. Sydney is littered with them. I'll just be it's just me. The Bible never talks about it like that. It doesn't talk about it as Jesus and me. It talks about it as Jesus and we all the time. I mean, think about all the metaphors of the church that we see in God's word. I mean, it would be like a brick standing by itself. Imagine that. You just go outside and there's just a brick on the floor. Imagine with me, play with me a minute, that you could talk to the brick. I know it's weird, but just humor me. And you go to the brick, and you say, hey, how are you going? What are you up to? And he just talks back to you and says, well, I'm just the temple of God. <laughs> You're a brick. But he thinks he's a temple, because he thinks he can do it just all by himself. It's like a child by themselves, and you ask them, hey, how are you going? I'm going good, good, thanks. I'm the family of God. Sorry? You're just one person by yourself. Or it'd be like a finger. A finger that you start to engage with. And you say, oh, what are you? How are you going? Yeah, I'm going good. I am the body of Christ. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, I can point and I can scratch and... No, you need to be connected and committed to other parts for this to work. But they think just by themselves as that finger. They're the body. They don't need anything else. They will be fine. Oh, it'd be like a bride. Imagine you go out into a field and you meet this young lady, beautiful lady. She's all dressed up and she's standing there in a wedding dress. And you say, hi, is it usual that you go out into a field with a wedding dress? She says, oh, I do. I do every weekend. In fact, I do on a Sunday. Why? Because I'm the bride of Christ. No, you're not. You're just a girl by yourself in a wedding dress. Do you see how ridiculous it is? This idea of lone range of Christianity, that i got this. I'll be okay by myself. For some people, I understand it. They are hurt by the church. Things happen in churches, and they are disappointed. They are disillusioned. I understand that. I am sorry for that. I am saddened by that. But the Bible then doesn't say, hey, unless you're hurt. If you're hurt, then just try and do it all by yourself. No, it says go find a church that you can trust with pastors that you can trust and get involved because you need to be with other believers. Lone Ranger Christianity is not the Christianity of the Bible. Why? Because God's grand design for the church is so much greater. God's grand design explains that together we are a temple. Stones from different places that are being built together by God as a dwelling place for Him. Together we're a family. We heard it displayed this morning. The effect that we have on one another's lives. We need one another in that sense. Together we're a body. We all have different parts to play. But together when we stand as one, striving side by side with one mind and one heart, great things can be built. As together we move forward and operate as the hands and feet of Jesus in our city. And together we're a bride. A bride for which he died a bride for which he gave his life away. He became sin for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin and made right with God. And as immediately just that, he says, I'm adopting you into a family. Get in the local church because you're going to need those around you. Listen, a person passionate about the church rejoices that it is God's plan to redeem a people. They understand he doesn't just justify, he joins me. And they understand that and are zealous about it. Because they realize they can't be a temple or a family or a body or a bride by themselves. Festo Cavagenri, the African bishop, says, "The cutting of the stone is done, and you have been fitted in." That is how he is taking us. Stones of all races and backgrounds are fitting us together into a beautiful dwelling place for God. Isn't that beautiful? That's who we are. A person passionate about the church, then they rejoice that it is God's plan to redeem a people, that they are a stone that by the grace of God, he's putting with others as he builds a temple for him. Number two, a person passionate about the church views their gifts and abilities as resources to serve the church. A person passionate about the church, they understand God has gifted them in different ways, and they don't plan then to just invest all of these gifts so they can make money. No, they plan to invest all these gifts to build the church, to to see them as resources to serve the church. You see, when it comes to the importance and priority of serving, there's no greater text for us, I believe, than Mark chapter 10. Verses 35 to 45. Jesus himself is with his disciples. He's been with them for over three years by now. He's invested a ton of time. And he's told them already by now three times that when he eventually gets to Jerusalem, he will be taken over by others, he will be beaten, he will be whipped, and he will be crucified. He's just told them that in Mark chapter 10. At which point, James and John, well, this is what they say. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, basically, teacher, thanks for that. Anyway, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. I mean, I'm coming in like a windmill at that point. There's going to be some windmills going on, and these guys are going to get taken out. But not Jesus. He's gracious. He is kind. He has just told them, guys, I am going to die. And their first words are, listen, thanks for that. I don't quite understand what you're saying. But anyway, when we get to Jerusalem, here's what I'm thinking. Can I sit your right and I left? Why did they say that? Well, they say it because they think when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he will introduce a new kingdom and a position of power will be relevant. And where is the greatest power? Well, to sit at your right or your left. That means we're somebody's. In their mind, true greatness is about position. It's about what they do, who they are, who sees them. You would hope that the other disciples in this moment are indignant. James and John, stop it. Good news, they are indignant. Bad news, not for good reasons. In verse 42, it says, And so Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever must be first among you must be slave of all. But even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. His other disciples were indignant because James and John got to Jesus first. They wanted to sit at the right and the left. They're angry. Stop it. Stop it. You know, in one of the other texts, it says that one of the mothers gets involved as well. Hey, listen, I'm aware that you haven't been speaking to my sons very well, but they're lovely. You know, they're getting their moms involved because they're all about position. And Jesus looks them in the eye and explains, true greatness is not about position. True greatness is about service and giving your lives away for others. If you want to be truly great in Sydney, it's not about getting a doctorate. Not against having a doctorate. Go for your life. That will not make you great. It's not about having an incredible career. It's not about having the biggest house. True greatness is about service. It's about considering others more important than yourself and giving your life away to them. And it's right here in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul then pulls the curtain back on one of the most important and primary places to practice this true greatness. One of the primary places to practice this true service, this true greatness as the Lord Jesus calls it. In Ephesians 4 verse 16, we read, "...from him the whole body..." joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The primary place that he's gifted us for to serve is the local church that we're to be joined to and committed to, bringing our gifts to bear on it so that it may be built in love. You know, through Ephesians 4, And through words like joined and held together and every joint, you see the importance of commitment and connection to a local church, doesn't it? You can't be connected and committed to the global church as if there's just this universal blob that we try and do something with. That's not the context. The context is a local church that we give ourselves to and we get joined to and we get passionate about and we use all our gifts and abilities to say, hey, I'm all in. I just want to serve. I want to be Jesus in this community and I want to play my part to building us up in love for his glory. Chuck Colson in his book, The Body, says it this way. He says, every believer is part of the universal church, but for any Christian who has a choice in the matter, failure to cleave to a local church is failure to obey Christ. For it is only through a confessing local body of believers that we carry out the work of the church in the world. It is within the local church that we commit ourselves to intimate relationships with fellow believers and submit ourselves to accountability, duties, and responsibilities. And it's within this community that our Christian character is shaped and our spiritual gifts are developed and exercised. It's so true. It's through the local church. We can't say as Christians, I am just zealous about the church like out there, but I don't want to join a local one. That doesn't make sense. If we're truly passionate about the global church, we join a local one and we give our lives away for her so that she may be built up in love. You see, it's so important that we get connected and we get committed to a local church as biblically defined. And it's so important that we play our parts. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read that to each is given a gift for the common good. If you have arrived at this church thinking you are not gifted, I have news for you. You are definitely gifted. You have gifts to use in the building up of the local church. And I want to encourage you to use them. I've been a pastor for the last 23 years of my life, and I've consistently seen churches that are giving themselves away to serve others. First of all, at Christchurch in the UK, where I was a pastor for 10 years, men and women giving their lives and their energies to serve the church. We just went home a few weeks ago just to visit with them, and they're still there, still doing it. 600 people giving their lives away for Jesus, give hours and hours. Many of them are retiring, so they're like full-time for the church. Just what can we do? How can we serve Jesus? Looking after the homeless, doing food banks. It's just incredible. Just giving time and energy to the building of the local church. I've seen the same for the last 13 years here in Sovereign Grace Church, Warunga. It's incredible. The Sunday morning experience alone, it's hard, isn't it? When we started out of Sovereign Grace Church, Warunga, um, for the first few years, we were living in and out of a trailer. It was a nightmare. It was, it was so hard. I'm so pleased I was a bit younger then, because now I'd be like, I'm just going to leave here. I can't do it. It's just so hard. We're just literally, you know, somebody's driving the trailer and unloading the trailer, and then you'd get all the stuff to the school hall. We're in Normanist Boys High School. You get to the school hall, and you open the door, and to your dismay, there's 300 exam desks out. Ah! But people would joyfully pack them all up. They'd take them all down, and they'd put them out the back. Then we'd get all the gear out, just like you're doing. Then we'd have the service. And then at the end, we'd pack all the gear down, put it in the trailer, usually with your foot, because for some reason it never goes back in. You put it down, and then people were joyfully putting the exam tables back out, and you're like, this is service. This is true greatness. This isn't recognized in any book. But as their pastor, I'm there cheering them on. You are doing a beautiful thing for the Lord. Know his smile on your life. Because you are serving to see the local church. built. listen, if they had done that in the early days, that church wouldn't have existed, meaning your church wouldn't exist. It's people's service. It makes a difference. It has longevity. Praise God, we no longer live out of a trailer. We are done with the trailer. That was the best day of my life selling that thing. Second to getting married, but a close second because it was awful. (laughs) So, yeah, went from riches to rags in that state. But it was a great day when we got rid of that trailer. But still every week now, people still serve hard. Musicians, PA, getting there at 7.45 every week. Some of them traveling 30 minutes just to get there in the first place, having practiced in the week. People giving their lives away to serve kids. We have 170 adults in our church and 100 kids in our church. Half of them are preschool. They are everywhere. (laughs) It takes so many people just to care for them and serve them, but people do it. They just give their lives away serving these kids. That's just on a Sunday gathering, let alone all the myriads of things that happen through the week as people are cared for, people are loved on, people are rejoiced with, people are wept with. It's a family. The last 10, 13 years, I've seen Sovereign Grace Church Warunga giving themselves to one another. And from everything I hear of your church, you are just the same. Which doesn't surprise me at all. I just want to encourage you, keep doing it. I think COVID had a profound effect on so many of us around the world, to be quite frank. People came sheepishly in after COVID, and I think one of the cultural changes is Christians were less keen to serve. We got used to the living from home thing. (laughs) I quite like living from home. It's lovely. But we started to function that way about church life as well. Am I available? Uh, No. No, I'm going to be working from home. Brothers and sisters, true greatness is not working from home. True greatness is giving our lives away to serve Jesus, and the context for that is the building of the local church. Arthur Wallace once said, If you want to do the best with your life, then find out what God is doing in your generation and throw yourself into it. Brothers and sisters, here's what he's doing in your generation he's building the local church, he's building his temple. He's building his body. He's building his bride. And you and I have the distinct privilege of giving our lives away to serve that. What a privilege. A person passionate about the church, well, they understand that. And they view their gifts and abilities as resources to serve the church. Number three, a person passionate about the church is aware of how much they need the church. It's true. You see, in a very real sense, the church is an army, and I love that. One of the things we've always sought to do in Wurrunga is help us to punch above our weight, like armies do. Try to build more of the SAS into them, sort of general infantry, because you're like, let's go make a difference. Let's do something with our lives. And so in a very real sense, the church is an army, and in another very real sense, it is a family, just like we looked at this morning. And yet... At times, I think that family can resemble a hospital where there are needy people around. See, here's the reality that I've observed throughout my life as a Christian. God has not gathered together in the local church a group of perfect, independent super-Christians. Have you noticed that? You look around and you're like, man, we are needy, needy people with deficiencies and weaknesses and challenges. And if we're honest about ourselves, when we join the church, we're one of those people. We have challenges. And as such, we need to understand we really do need each other. As Reuben Walsh said, it really isn't Jesus and me, but Jesus and we. It's true. When you are sad and you are disappointed, we need Jesus, don't we? We need to know his nearness. We need to have that peace that surpasses understanding. But more often than not, we need somebody to actually be Jesus to us, to actually love on us and communicate those things and be the hand and feet of Jesus. When we're confused and when we're distracted, we need Jesus. But we need somebody to come alongside us and spur us on, to be the voice piece of Jesus, to encourage us to keep going and not give up. When we're tired and when we're all out of energy, we need Jesus. But more often than not, we need somebody to pray for us and care for us and stand with us. Listen, we need each other, do we not? It's the way God designed it. It's not by accident. That's why we read in the Bible, consider your calling, brothers. Paraphrase, not many of you are that amazing. Yeah, it's an interesting group. But God does it deliberately to show the world, look how they care for one another. Look how they give themselves to one another. That is what Christ has done for you. He's taken you, poor and needy, and come and died in your place that you may have life. My friends, we need each other. One story that I think illustrates that reality so well is a story from Donald Gray Barnhouse, um, the famous American preacher. And this is what he says in one of his commentaries. He says, several years ago, two students graduated from Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton, and when he received his honor, he insisted that half of the credit go to his friend, Kaprzak. They had met one another in school when the armless Mr. Kaprzak had guided the blind Mr. Overton down a flight of stairs. The acquaintance ripened into a friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books, which the armless man read aloud in the common study. And thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated by the other. After their graduation, they planned to practice law together, which is something they did go on to do. <laughs> Understanding each other's deficiencies, they decided to work Together, so that they could work and get stuff done. My friend, this room, I don't know you all, but here's my understanding of Scripture this room will be filled with Overton's and Caprizac's. Everybody brings in their own deficiencies, their own weaknesses, their own strengths, and their own abilities, and together we are better. But a person passionate about the church. They understand the need for the church. You see, you will never be passionate about something that you take for granted. And a person truly passionate about the church comes to church knowing, I want to serve you. I want to give my life away for you. But heads up, I need you. Because I ain't got it all going on. I get sad. I get disappointed. There's things I'm good at, things I'm not good at. I get tired at time. But I'm here and ready to play my part. That's church life. That's family life. That's when we become a city on a hill for the glory of Jesus. And then finally, number four, just in closing, a person passionate about the church builds their life around the church. See, here's where the rubber hits the road. But here's the reality. If all that we've talked about today is really true, if Jesus really is the one who chose us even before the foundation of the earth, If Jesus is the one who justified us by his grace and then joined us into the context of the local church, and if the church then really is at the center of God's plan of redemption, which it is. You don't see missiology and ecclesiology in the Bible as two separate things. Missiology is being driven by ecclesiology, the planting of local churches through which people know Jesus and know the gospel and apply it and proclaim it and more churches are planted. Listen, if the church then is the center of God's plan and we're called to use our gifts and abilities to serve the church, understanding I'm also going to need the church, then I submit to you that as Christians, this should surely affect the way the church fits in our lives. If it's so important. It doesn't sound like something that's just peripheral to me. But instead, it's something that's actually central. John Stott says it this way. He says, If the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the gospel, then it must surely also be central to our lives. For how can we take so lightly what God takes so seriously? And how dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center. Oh, so true. He then continues, In decision making, God wants to guide us. He is not any less concerned about where you're going to work or where you're going to live or who you're going to marry. And He will guide you if you seek and follow Him. But don't make decisions outside of understanding that God's church is at the center of His passion and plan. For it is outside of this nucleus that He will reveal to you where you Ah, to be. Oh, my friends, I want to encourage you. This is so helpful. How dare we take so lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? That is not a common Australian truth. But I'm telling you, it is the truth of the Bible. The church is central to God's plan. It always has been. We just took our eyes off the prize. You get back to the Bible and you realize it is the local church that it's worth so much more than we care to think of it. See, it is the sad reality, I think, for us in Australia, we sort of think of the church like we think of high school. See, high school is not something we build our lives around. High school is not something that we stay in. We're there for a little while, we're there for a bit, and then we graduate, and so the entire time, we're always thinking one step ahead, and you don't, like, commit to high school, You just go along. You just attend. Because I've got to attend. And when you're older, you're going to graduate and go somewhere else. My experience is so many of us in Australia, we think of church like that. Or a soccer club that I'll, you know, join for a bit. But then I might try a different one down the track as well. You don't build your life around a soccer club. Well, some people sadly do. But many Christians don't. We just think of them as places that we go for a bit. It's all too easy to think of church like we think of high school. It is not high school. It is a temple, a family, a body, a bride which Christ died for and then looks you in the eye, having saved you by his grace, and says, now there is something I want you to do to me. Do you want to take me as Lord and Savior? I do. I'm all in for that. Great. Then give yourself to this local church. These people... Go make disciples of all nations right here in Parramatta by giving your life away for these people. It's so easy to think of the church as just something on the edge. Whereas actually in our Christianity, it's something right in the middle. That as we follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, functionally, we give ourselves there. My gifts and abilities, my my finances, my time, my energies, because that's where it functions for me. And how kind of the Lord to give you guys, Sovereign Grace Church of Parramatta. If Jesus is so passionate about the church, then does your life reflect a similar passion for the church? My friends, there's no exemptions allowed if you truly want to be an imitator of Christ, if you truly want to be conformed to his image, guess what? He is passionate about the church. And so we need to be too. Listen, if you're sitting here today and you can honestly say, I am passionate about the church, which I'm sure many of you are, just keep going. Keep doing it. I trust this envisions you and encourages you again that you are doing the right thing. Keep giving your life away for Jesus and do it in the context of the local church. But if you're here today and this doesn't really resonate with you, in fact, maybe you're not even a part of the church. Maybe you're not a part of any church. Or maybe you've joined Sovereign Grace Church of Parramatta in title, but functionally, not really. Just a member. Did it for the t shirt. <laughs> Listen, if that's you, then I want to exhort you, my friends, there is so much more for you. And I want to encourage you to let today mark the day where grace-motivated change might begin. Grace-motivated because your salvation is not dependent upon how will you serve in the church. Your salvation is dependent upon your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But grace-motivated because if you want to be like Jesus, He's passionate about the church. And that's worthy of our change. For the church is the bride of Christ. A bride that he chose from eternity past, a bride that he set his affections on, bringing it back from sin and death, and now gently sanctifies and cleanses her, preparing us for himself. Jesus is truly passionate about the church, and so I want to encourage you. May we be too. May we be like him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, that is the desire of our hearts, to to be like you. Lord, our lives were purchased with a price. We went from being a slave to the world to now a slave of Christ. And oh my, what a joy it is to serve you. What a joy it is to know you as Lord and Savior. What a joy it is to know that we've been forgiven of our sin and redeemed and adopted and assured that heaven is our home. But Lord, you do help us to be like you. Help us to feel and be passionate about what you feel and are passionate about. And would you help us through your spirit to become more and more like you. And may the church be built all for your glory and fame. For your glory, Lord. Amen.